0: Well, good morning. Please find Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 2. <clears throat> of our visitors, I'm uh, not the pastor. Uh, my wife is there. I am here. Uh, we do have a pastor coming. Uh, we're thankful to have Vail and Jocelyn here that I'm covering today as we await visa process, as Yano prayed, all the bureaucracy that needs to happen. So <laughs> what a wonderful word providence is, right? Okay. So, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, in the past few weeks, you may have seen uh, news articles, comments on social media about a new animated comedy uh, put out by FX Network in the U.S. It's owned, also owned by the Disney Corporation. The cartoon is called Little Demon. And the premise, uh, according to the FX website, is this. Uh, 13 years, much as I don't want to give false advertising, makes a good introduction. So, 13 years after being impregnated by Satan... A reluctant mother, named Laura, and her antichrist daughter, Chrissy, attempt to live an ordinary life in Delaware, but are constantly thwarted by monstrous forces, including Satan, who yearns for custody of his daughter's soul." Well, I'd seen the articles, I'd seen the social media comments, watched the trailer in preparation for this, and I have to conclude that many of the concerns I saw expressed are actually quite valid. to make the enemy of our souls the main character in an animated comedy uh, is a clever deception. It makes him seem no more harmless than a a, a father, a, shall we say, a struggling father uh, in a dysfunctional family who's struggling to relate to his adolescent daughters, um, as a father of two daughters who pass through adolescence. Uh, so... <laughs> The word antichrist passed my mind a couple of times. But anyway. Uh, but all of this just makes this look like a, a harmless comedy about a dysfunctional family. And, and there is much, much more going on here. And it makes those who express concerns about things like this um, seem like the real enemies and, and the real um, crushers of dreams and joys. Well, this is a deception. I doubt many of us were fooled. Um, But it's nothing new deception is part of the age in which we live and there are other deceptions besides this one Um, For example the prosperity gospel has deceived many into believing that if they have enough faith They'll have wealth and they'll have health or even worse if they Don't have health or wealth. It is because of their own lack of faith and many have been uh, Terribly harmed by this. It's a false gospel and it's brought great harm to the people. It's deceived another deception is the authority that is now given to inner feelings instead of external truth in our day. See, our inner feelings are really not reliable guides to life or truth or reality. We need the Lord's wisdom, we need the word of God. And yet many people find their identity not from God's word, not from their community, but from how they feel in the moment. And if we challenge their conclusions, we come across as if we are attacking their identity. And it's um, quite an interesting challenge. But I say that not to make you fear. We don't need to fear these deceptions or any others. This is really a great time to be alive and to be serving the Lord. The gospel was made for times like ours. So um, even though our age is marked by deception, Our text today offers us a lot of hope. It's a longer passage as before, so we'll read it as we go through it. We'll see in the first couple of verses the specific problem that Paul is addressing in Thessalonica. So chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. So someone, by some means, by some prophecy, verbal teaching, or a letter bearing Paul's name, has convinced the church that Paul is now teaching that the day of the Lord has already come, and evidently they missed it. Well, Paul had taught them that the day of the Lord is near, that is coming, that we should always be ready, but he had not taught that it had already come. So this is a radical difference. So he begins his response with, with, first with just a couple of, let's call them polite rebukes. So we, see, we saw the first one in the first couple of verses. We ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed. Now, he only says this because that's exactly what happened. They are they are unsettled and alarmed. and it's happened rather easily and quickly. All it took was a letter, right? And he's saying, don't, you know, don't just hang on. And the second mild rebuke is in verse 3. He says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. Again, he only says this because that is exactly what has happened. Somebody has communicated to them. It's a deceptive message, and they have bought it, and it has brought them trouble. The church had been deceived. It brought confusion. It brought fear. It brought error. And that is what happens when we allow deception into our lives. It brings confusion and fear, and it affects our ability to worship. It affects our prayers. It affects our evangelism. It affects our community. It affects the life of the church. It affects our spiritual vitality. So we have to really guard against deception. And we are as easily deceived as these folks who actually heard the Apostle Paul in person. You know, we are, so we're not going to just stop and thank God that we're not like them, okay? (laughs) Because, um, We often are too much like that, so prone to deception and how easily we deceive ourselves. So as I said, our text today offers us hope for the times like these. And I see two sources of hope in our text. I know that I normally have three points. I only have two today, but I have a rather lengthy conclusion. So I hope you'll be okay. Um, So the first source of hope is the Word of God. That's really the larger part of this passage from verses 3 to 12. But let's look first at verse 5. He says, In verse 5, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? Now, today's text talks a lot about end times, but before our curiosity gets the best of us, let's understand what Paul is doing with the things that he writes. He's not only addressing this specific problem, it does that, but he's not just doing that. I believe he's saying, look, you've been deceived and confused and shaken in your faith by this deception. But this is kindergarten, this is skolka, okay? (laughs) But compared to the deception that is coming. Hey, this honestly is is nothing. This is child's play. There is greater deception in your world and there is is a massive deception coming and many, many, many will be deceived by this. He's saying, don't let that happen. So he corrects their immediate problem, but he also does that in light of a greater deception that is coming. And again, there is a hint of rebuke in this because he's basically saying, if you had just remembered what I had said, none of this would happen. I don't know if you ever hear that voice in your head or not. But um, if we had just taken seriously God's word, believe things that would save us a lot of grief, right? So he addresses their confusion by reminding them of what he had taught them. That addresses the immediate problem in light of, of a coming deception. And we've seen this several times in both letters. He reminds them, when I was with you, I said these things. And his words are not just the words of a friend. They are are words that carry a, thus says the Lord Jesus, authority. Because the risen Jesus appeared to Paul, commissioned him as an apostle. So he speaks with authority. And in what he says, he relies heavily on the Old Testament in our text today. Especially on Isaiah and on Daniel. But the point is this. The best protection from deception is the Word of God. Okay? There is not a better uh, protection. God has revealed truth through His Word for us. It guides us and it exposes error and helps us recognize and avoid and resist deception. Well, let's go back to verse 3. And watch Paul do this as he uses biblical truth to expose this deception, this coming great deception. He says in verse three, picking up middle of the verse, that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. The word for rebellion was used for political rebellion, rebellion against kings, emperors, local authorities. So it can, it may refer in this case to a, a final, general, widespread human rebellion against God. But the word is also sometimes translated apostasy and in a religious context it means for someone to abandon their faith. And so it may refer to a time when many professing Christians, when their true colors will show and they will in fact abandon their their profession of their faith in Christ. Verse 3 also introduces to this character the man of lawlessness. And the next verses tell us more. I have to pause here and say my supervisor in my day job, his last name is Lawless and... I have a lot of fun with that when we're meeting, so just wanted to get that out there. Uh, Chuck Lawless, if any of you have ever, ever heard of him, dear brother, great friend, amazing supervisor. And he's six time zones away. I mean, it just doesn't get better than that, right? So, um, So verse 3, we're introduced to this man of lawlessness. The next few verses tell us more. We see in verse 3 his destiny. So um, there's, here's a spoiler alert, okay? Because Paul tells us the most important thing we need to know about the man of lawlessness, very, very first thing. He is doomed to destruction, okay? Hope that's not a surprise. Hope you've seen this before. But this phrase, uh, doomed to destruction, as it is in the original language, is the same phrase that Jesus uses of Judas in John 17. So this may tell us, That this is a person who will arise within Christianity and will betray Christians like Judas betrayed Jesus. We'll know one day. In verse 4, we see his number one goal. It says he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, part of this is quite clear. He will claim to be above every God and demand the worship of everyone, not just Christians, but everyone worldwide, globally. Now, there are different interpretations of the reference to the temple. It will be great to understand that one day, but this is not that day, and that is not the point. Okay? The point is, this will be a powerful deception that many will embrace The Word of God has exposed it. Now you know, don't fall for it. Now, verses 6 and 7, we learn why this person has not yet appeared. It says, verse 6, Now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until until he is taken out of the way. So he's being held back by something and or someone so that he will not be revealed until the proper time. Thessalonians knew what Paul was talking about. We do not. I read, looked at several commentaries on this and there were suggestions, but I think the, the writers that were older just said, you know, we just don't know. <laughs> like wisdom of age just said, not going to waste ink on this one. We just simply cannot know with complete certainty what he's referring to. Um, So he's held back by something, someone, um, both of those are possible here. Um, So there are different interpretations. We look forward to understanding this one day, but again, this is not that day, and that's really not the main point of what we're doing. So in verse seven, we're told that this deception will lead to the man of lawlessness being revealed, gaining power, that 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 deception that will lead to this is already at work through lesser deceptions like what the Thessalonians were facing through this false message that came to them. Like what we face in our day and whoever, whatever was, is holding him back is removed and the last great deception unfolds. And we see that then in verse 8. We see his rise and fall. Verse 8, Then the lawless one will be revealed and the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. So the proper time will come Whatever is holding back the man of lawlessness will be removed. He will be revealed to the applause and adoration of the world. And then Jesus will show up and spoil the party. He will have, uh, the, the lawless one will evidently have a supreme religious power, probably economic, political power as well. But Jesus will expose his deception and overthrow him with no more effort than it takes to exhale. Just a, that's it. That's all it takes. That is how much greater, how much more powerful Jesus is than the best that the devil can do. Okay? Seriously, it is a house of cards. And it is a deception. But it doesn't look like it. We, we are so easily deceived and prone to this. But Jesus is true. And he is ultimate. And he is more powerful. And with the breath of his mouth, by the splendor of his presence, he will overthrow, and destroy. By destroy, I don't mean annihilate. I mean conquer and and banish. Um, As as we saw in chapter 1, it is Jesus' presence that brings destruction and judgment to his enemies. And this is true not only there, but it's true here, not only of the man of lawlessness, but of Satan and all those who follow them. We'll see that in just a minute. Now in verses 9 and 10, we see his his uh, corporate sponsor, okay, Um, says verse 9, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. So in case we didn't realize it already, the man of lawlessness will be in league with Satan. This is seen in a couple of ways here in the text. First there is deception by miracles, signs and wonders, the miracles themselves might be real or fake. Either way, they are decepted because their purpose is to turn people away from Christ. And his miracles will serve the lie that he wants people to believe about him, about himself. And then there is deception in many other forms, and it takes all kinds of forms. Uh, we have a very uh, clever and cunning enemy, and he knows the kinds of deceptions that people will believe We need to understand that we're no match for Satan, but Jesus is more than a match for him. But all of these forms of deception are designed to ensnare and capture those who are not prepared, those who are not equipped to resist this kind of deception. So scripture exposes this pattern of deception. We see it from Genesis 3 many times through scripture. So while um, in thinking about like the deception of miracles, we should not be automatically negative and dismissive of reports of miracles and other great uh, what look like great works of God. But it's also wise to determine and explore what happened, how it happened, who gets the credit, and if Jesus gets the credit, who is the Jesus that gets credit? I've, I've been in these situations where, you know, there's someone who says, this great miracle happened, and we've been talking, they give glory to Jesus, and we begin to talk about Jesus, and it's a different Jesus. So just understand how subtle and cunning our enemy is. He can give... Uh, He can let Jesus have some credit, but it won't be the same Jesus. So rejoice at any good thing that happens, but it's also good to to look into these things. And honestly, I get a red flag when when there is a resistance to accountability or explanation. Like, well, you know, where is the the person who is healed? Well, you know, I don't know. Like, well, you know, who saw this? Well, it was just me, and you know, or if if you question, it's like you're questioning God. Uh, we've have seen this, uh, you know, people like to say, you know, God told me to do this, God let us do that, and I'm like, well, well, and I understand that God does lead us; He does speak to our hearts, but to question that, especially works in, again, we're we have a sending organization, and I've seen that in our own organization. God has shown us the plan. It's like, well, if you question the plan, you're questioning God, and that's that's. That can be really dangerous. And uh, we saw that. Uh, we have used to have uh, people come to Prague do, uh, doing people group research and developing their strategy plans. They return to their plans, turn to their people and their teams, and they would say, here's God's plan for our city. And their, their team, their national partners would look at that and say, well, you know, either God's not very bright or you missed something. And, of course, they never said that because they might lose their jobs. But, you know, those kinds of things just run their course. It's, but it is milder deceptions... But there's a greater one coming. So, before we go further, as as we have seen this about this man of lawlessness, the heart, the core of his deception is that he is worthy of human worship, that he is worthy of our faith, hope, and love. He is a false messiah, a false Christ. This is what Jesus said would happen. This person seems to be the same figure described in in, uh, Daniel 7, Matthew 24, by Jesus, Revelation 13. If I understand these scriptures correctly, and I might not, but if I do, I think I do. (laughs) Um, Remember, we need humility when we're looking at prophecy, maybe more than anywhere else. So, if I do understand this correctly, this is someone we can expect to appear on the stage of human history at some point. He is sometimes called the Antichrist. The prefix anti- We understand it it means uh, like opposed to, but it also has another meaning. It can mean um, in the place of. And so what we see is this antichrist is he opposes Jesus by being a false messiah. He sets himself up as a savior. Now let's notice some ways this is described there on the screen there. So we've seen that Jesus, he's the true Christ. He will be revealed, we saw that in chapter 1, but it also describes His coming. That's in in our chapter today in verse 1, the coming of Christ. Both of those words are also used of the man of lawlessness. He will also have His revelation and His coming. The true Christ claimed to be God, we know that from the Gospels. So will the false Christ, we saw that in verse 4. The true Christ waits for the word of the Father for Him to return to us, for us. The false Christ is also held back by something, we don't know what, until his time comes, that's in verses 6 and 7. The true Christ did many miracles, so will the false Christ. We saw that in verse 9. The true Christ offers himself as the hope of the world, so will the false Christ. So understand, this, this man of lawlessness is not going to come with a big sign on his, his, you know, his, his shirt that says, you know, blinking light right here, I, I am the antichrist, I am the man of lawlessness. That's not how it's going to work. He will be a false Christ. He will appear as a savior, as a solution, as an object of our hope. And he will, perhaps as we saw in uh, uh, chapter 1, you know, peace and safety. Maybe that's what we don't know the specifics of what he will do. But it will be a deception. It will be false. And that will become evident in time. So we have to be careful. Stay in the word. We'll see this. So understand this, at, even as a, at a lesser level, is we know we're broken, but we engage in this lifelong project of self-salvation. We, are, we spend all of our time and energy trying to fix ourselves, and it is another form of deception. You cannot fix yourself. Only Jesus can, but He can, and He will, and He does. Okay, He heals, He restores relationships, He he is Lord and He's worthy. But we are distracted and occupied with somehow trying to fix ourselves by being good or going through rituals or hoping our good deeds outweigh our bad or maybe having power over others or becoming wealthy or giving ourselves over to pleasure. All of those things are simply forms of self-salvation. We are looking for something to fix the, the ache and the problem that is in our hearts. And while that's not the man of lawlessness, it is in fact same kind of deception, just at a smaller, lower level. Well, let's move on then from, from this person to his victims, verses 10 to 12. Picking up in the middle of verse 10, <clears throat> it says they, they perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Well, the reason people are deceived by this person, and even today, and perish is not because of what they don't know, but because of what they love. It is the heart, not the head. We saw this many times in our study of Proverbs. Our problem is not so much that we lack information. It is that we love the wrong things. And these described here who are deceived, they love wickedness. They delight in it. Literally, it says they did not receive the love of the truth. That's an important statement because the love of the truth is not something we are born with. We do not naturally love truth. And so there must come a time when you must receive the love of the truth. You don't naturally love truth. Do you know... Uh, Karen and I have four kids. I did not have to teach any of them to lie. I didn't. I did have to teach them how to tell the truth. Well, I they knew how to tell the truth. They had to learn the rewards and consequences of truth or, or lying. We are not born loving the truth. So there must come a time when our hearts need to be changed. And this refusal to receive the love of the truth, what it does is it indicates the stubborn arrogance of, in the heart of those who refuse the gospel, who refuse to humble themselves before the Lord Jesus and receive from him... A love for the truth and the truth itself. And because they refuse to love the truth, they don't believe the truth when they see it. They don't believe the gospel when they hear it. And they perish. Because the gospel of Jesus is the only way out. Verses 11 and 12, Paul continues with God's response to their rejection of truth. Verse 11, for this reason God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. This is the lie that the man of lawlessness is telling. So that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Now this is a, sounds a bit unsettling as it looks on the surface. But let's understand this is not God becoming deceptive like the man of lawlessness. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2 tells us God cannot lie. He's, God is not a deceiver. He is true. The phrase is literally the working of error. It's parallel, almost identical to the working of Satan, the original language, and, and by the, with the phrase the working of Satan up in verse 10. So what this is, is like we see in Romans 1, God giving people over to the consequences of their sin, giving them over to their choices. It is as if he says, you delight in wickedness, you embrace deception, you reject the truth, your will be done, and he lets sin run its course. He gives them over to deception, and they plunge even deeper into it. It is a form of judgment. It is not God deceiving, sending a trick, or trying to trick us into further condemnation. We don't need any help. We're we're already heading that direction. But what God does is give people over to their sins, because that's what they love, that's what they want. So the Word of God gives us hope by first by just exposing deception for what it is and giving us truth. But we also have hope because of the grace of God. That's in verses 13 and 14. So he now shifts to believers in Christ and explains why the the deception and destruction that we've just heard about are not our destiny. And this is because of God's grace, His gracious work for us and in us. In verse 13 he says, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's observe a few things here about the grace of God. God's work for us and in us proceeds from His gracious, faithful, covenant love and not from anything in us. Okay. His brothers and sisters loved by the Lord. That's where it starts. God is love. He loves us. And he has acted on our behalf and has worked in us. And then we see that God's work for us includes his choice of us for salvation. That's what he says. Uh, God had chose you as first, first fruits to be saved. Okay? Thank God for that. And he, but his use of first fruits here implies there is more. That is, it implies that, that God's choice of them, that they weren't an end. That, that wasn't the end, that he chose them in order to reach others. Okay? That's always the way election works. And so it is meant to lead to gospel advance. They were first fruits. They were first, few, fr, first fruits in Thessalonica. But, but they had testified to the gospel all over their region. God had used them to reach many, many more. And that's why Paul writes in the first chapter of the first letter, he could see, I could see how God has chosen you because you not only responded to the gospel, but God has used you to see many more come to Christ. Now, when we hear about this, about God choosing people for salvation, that, that, that can be a bit unsettling. Uh, some truth is unsettling. And some wonder, well, what if I want to be saved, but I'm not chosen? Well, that is not how it works, okay? Um... So you might ask, well, how can I be sure I'm one of those who are chosen? There is one sure way to know you are chosen by God for salvation. You turn from your sin and you put your hope in Jesus. That is how you know, because all the elect and only the elect do that. Okay, so you turn from your sin, you put your hope in Christ. That settles that issue. Um, But then he also talks about God's work in us. It it includes the activity of the Holy Spirit that transforms us from someone who delights in wickedness and hates the truth to someone who loves the truth and no longer satisfied and delighting in wickedness. The core of that, that truth is the gospel through which we are called to life, to fellowship with Jesus. So that one day, as he says in the end of verse fourteen, that we might share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ by His amazing, unfathomable grace. So, so what? The last three verses, the lengthy conclusion. Um, how do we live out this hope we have? How do we 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 see? Okay, it looks like we're protected uh, from this massive. Dim- final uh, deception at the end but how do we avoid deceiving ourselves how do we avoid um, deception the lesser deceptions that we encounter every day just from the spirit of the age he gives us a couple of things here as well verse 15 this will be no surprise given what we've already said we've said the word of God gives us hope against deception so verse 15 says stand firm and hold fast to the word of God okay Verse 15, so then brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. So remember, Paul's teachings were not just one Christian brother to another. He was an apostle. So the collected testimony of the apostles, what we have gathered, that is the New Testament. It is scripture. So he is saying, stand fast, hold fast to the word of God. Remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil? The deceiver came to him. How did he respond? He didn't call down lightning. He quoted scripture. (laughs) He quoted scripture. We can do that. That's what we should do. Just, I will tell you, don't, you know, don't think, I'm going to look that scripture up so I'll be right. No, you, just go ahead and start Spending time in God's Word. You need to be daily taking it in, day by day. Reading it. You need to be memorizing it, meditating on it, reflecting on it, treasure it. Like Jeremiah said, I think it's Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became for me the joy and delight of my heart, because I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Delighting in His Word. There's that beautiful, gross picture of the cow, you know, that... that that eats the grass and swallows it and they've got like, what, four stomachs and they just vomit that up into the mouth and they chew it, they call it ruminating, you know? Well, that's what we do. We take in the Word and we, we let it digest and then we kind of call it back up and we think about it some more and we dwell on it. And it, it is something that I, I used to often pray over my kids, especially when they were home at night, just, you know, that the Word of God would dwell richly in them. So, but that doesn't happen magically. That's you being intentional to memorize it to hide it in your hearts to expose your your eyes and ears to it regularly like being here uh, and hearing the word taught and preached so we have more access to the word of god than any other generation in human history but you know having 17 translations of scripture on your phone Doesn't help unless you, you know, unlock the screen and go to the app and actually look at it. Okay? So, spend time in God's Word. Dust off the Bible that's on your shelf. Update the app. Read your Bibles. So, stand stand firm. Hold fast to the Word. Second thing we saw, our second source of hope is the grace of God. So, the, the second so what is trust the grace of God. That's verses 16 and 17. May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself... And God, our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. So let's see from this, from, from Paul's prayerful wish for them. We trust in the unfailing covenant, gracious love of God, who is Father, Son, and Spirit. We trust him. We trust in his love. And then we look to Him, we can look to Him for daily encouragement, for renewal of our hope, for strength, for every good thing we want to do and say, guys, He's already said yes to these things. You don't have to talk Him into helping renewing your hope, encouraging your heart daily. Go to Him. Well, deception is all around us, but we are not defenseless, we're not helpless. We have to rely on the Word of God to expose deception, to equip us with truth so that we recognize it, to help us recognize and resist being deceived, whether it's the daily deception of the time or the, the great deception as the day of Jesus' return approaches. I mentioned my friend Chuck Lawless. He told me a story once about touring the U.S. Treasury, and they could see he could see where uh, counterfeiters were working. Uh, not counterfeiters. Hopefully they don't work in the Treasury. These were These were the people that are supposed to uh, arrest the counterfeiters. These are the good guys. So... But they were looking, you know, and Chuck saw them looking at, at, at all of this money and, and, he, and he asked his tour guide, he said, is that like samples of counterfeit? And he said, "Oh no, no. They don't, they don't do that. They spend hours looking at the real thing. So that as soon as they see a fake, they, see, they spot it. They spend all of their time and energy knowing the real thing. They can spot the fake as soon as they see it. And I think that's a, a great analogy, great illustration for us. Um, spend time in God's Word because error, like we saw earlier, that error, that deception comes in so many different forms. It's not like we can be prepared for every form of deception. There are things happening in our world today that I never dreamed of 30 years ago. Or 40 or 50 or 60. I wasn't dreaming about 60 years ago. But uh, still crazy world we live in. But again, the gospel was made for times like this. Don't fear. Put the word in your heart and be ready. So as we close, I just want to remind you of the only difference between those who perish in that day and those who are saved or delivered. Those who perish when Jesus comes are those who delight in wickedness, don't receive the love of the truth, and You don't have to do anything. That's that's the default setting. It is only if if you turn from that. Because those who are saved from judgment have received the love of the truth and they have believed the gospel. That is, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died and rose again to bring us forgiveness and freedom and fullness of life if we will turn from our sin and put our hope in Him alone. And so... This is a good time to ask where you are in this. Where are you with Christ? Do you love the gospel? Do you love the truth? Do you love Jesus? If you do not, I would like to ask, uh, what flaw is there in Jesus that makes him unworthy of your faith, hope, and love? And I will tell you there is no flaw in Jesus. He is altogether lovely. The problem is not with Jesus, it is in your heart. Do you understand this? Do you recognize it? And do you want a new heart? A heart that loves the truth, that, that loves the Lord, that loves the gospel? You can have that if you will. Humble yourself before him, go to him, look to him, He will give you a new heart. He has done that for me. He has done that for many in this room. So, friend, look to Jesus. Turn from your sin. Turn from your sin. Surrender to him. Put your hope in him. That's all different ways of saying the same thing I'm challenging you to do. He will give you a new heart. Look to him. Put your hope in him. Even today, even now, even in this moment, look to Christ. If you want to know more about what that means, what it means to know Christ, to get a new heart, please please speak to one of us after the service today. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for these moments we've had together with your word. I pray that you will take what's good and right and true and seal it into our hearts and the rest can go its way. I pray you will help us to give ourselves to your word, to receive it to internalize it, to cherish it and treasure it, that we might recognize deception as we encounter it Monday to Saturday. So grant us, please, discernment. Grant us, please, the energy and the the desire to take your word in. Just think back to when I first came to know you and the hunger I had for your word. Just a voracious appetite. I I thank you for that. Just the things you did in my heart just just through that special season. We thank you for your word, for its power. We thank you for Jesus, for his power over Satan. For we confess we are are like sheep. We feel defenseless. Help us look to the shepherd. Help us follow well. Please, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.